Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody today and then be seated, please. All right. God bless you. You may be seated. Glad to have our guests right down here and others who are joining us. And I talked about tomorrow, if I could have the men come quickly, we're just going to pass these boards. When we go offline, we're going to talk more about this. These are sign-up boards for tomorrow's picnic from 10 until 2. It's absolutely free. But if you'd like to sign up to bring something, if you'd like to be a leader, a helper, we have things that we're going to be doing. And Brother Tyler and I are going to talk about this little Q&A when we go offline a little bit later. Thank you so much. Also, be aware of the fact that we're signing up and we're going to be in training sessions for our big outreach from the Prince William County Fair. We're going to have a soul winning booth, actually two or three booths side by side. And we need to train... Uh, uh, 30 people or so, and, and also bring up to date those that have served in the past in the soul winning booth, winning souls to Jesus Christ. So we're going to be working on that. We'd like to say hello to those that are tuning in right now. I'd like to say hello to Kim Willis and family. And once again, our hearts go out, our love and sympathy on the passing of Dwayne. His service of memory is going to be this Saturday. Uh, at Pierce and Manassas, and at, at the viewings three to five, and and um, uh, around um, five o'clock, I am going to be speaking. And so, if you would like to attend, it's at Pierce in Manassas, five o'clock for the speaking, three o'clock to uh, five o'clock for the viewing. Uh, Kim, we know that as I told you on the phone, when people tell you that it's going to get better and going to get better and going to get better, I'm telling you, they don't know what they're talking about. But God's grace is sufficient, and God is good all the time. Isn't that right, Virginia? You can tell, tell the truth. Nobody likes to have their loved one pass, and, and nobody says that it's going to get easier over time. That just kind of cements some things firmly in place. We need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. And so, Kim, we're praying for you. God bless you. And uh, for all those that have been through surgical procedures and been through various things uh, recently, God bless you, but we've got... George back with us, and George, you're an answer to prayer, aren't you, George? George got a shield over his eye, had cataract surgery, and it was successful, and he said he could see me, and he said, I'm still as good looking as... No, he didn't say that, but... I'm glad I don't appeal to him, all right? Young, amen. Let's give, let's give George a hand. God bless you, George. Good to have you back there. He's back there. He's handing out these bulletins, and if you haven't got one, you need one right now, raise your hand up high. Come on, raise your hand up high. It uh, brings you up to speed on things, and praise the Lord for that. Happy birthday, America, it says. Good bulletin, Dane. Uh, proclaim liberty throughout the land from Leviticus 25. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. Our special offering, in addition to our regular offering, uh, last month was for the revival efforts, and uh, uh, that was in the blue envelopes, but now we've got in the red writing envelopes, love offering. If you'd like to write L-U-C-A-S Lucas on there, uh, I explained in the the Sunday school hour, that Leon Lucas got saved in our previous ministry, baptized, trained under our Bible Institute ministry, and uh, started a church in Wilson, North Carolina, back in his hometown. And then after a number of years, God called him into evangelism, travels all over the country, and he repairs, he preaches, and he, and he builds, and he repairs, and he does all those things. He's a great guy, a hands-on guy, not afraid of hard work. And uh, we love the Lucases, and they are among our missionary family that you'll find out in the wall here as you go down the north hallway. But um, write L-U-C-A-S, 
And the reason is because they've just about worn out, as far as their extensive use of over-the-road fifth-wheeler, they've just about worn out that trailer. And even though they're going to sell it or trade in and get another one, they, they put on hundreds of thousands of miles in the work of the Lord. So I hope that you'll do that. And uh, so we'll, we'll be receiving an offering a little bit later on. Praise the Lord. Okay. And also, we'll be asking you about your track distribution. We've seen a lot of tracks get distributed this week. We're in a uh, Fill America and Fill Virginia campaign. And we're not just looking to win the award of having the most tracks, the most people passing out tracks. But I, I tracked my own track giving. You know, I had a pretty good idea. Guess what? I was spot on. Exactly what I figured I normally give out in the course of a week is what I gave out this past week. And I did hand some to my grandchildren, but I don't count those because they in turn hand them out and getting them started right. So let's do it. Amen. Between now and next Sunday, we want to uh, double, triple our efforts. And uh, yesterday, our goal for doors leaving literature out was 200. How many doors did we, did we get, sir? 270. 270. Our goal was 200 doors. We got 270 doors yesterday. And our goal for next Saturday will be what? 300. All right, come out 10 o'clock on Saturday and help us as we joyfully go out and share the gospel with people. Have a wonderful time doing that. All right. I say happy birthday, America, to you today. As we look into the Word of God in just a moment, where it says in Leviticus 25, proclaim liberty through all the land, we're going to get the context. So we have... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all right? So the third book of the Old Testament. Start turning to Leviticus 25, please. Leviticus chapter 25. And when you're done looking, look up so I know that I've got the audience. All right. We have on the front of our bulletin a picture of our Liberty Bell. How many of you have had the privilege to see it in person up in Philadelphia? All right. And some wonderful things happened in the early days, the traumatic, difficult days. God permitted those difficulties and permitted the people to come out of those difficulties better than they went in. And I can personalize it this way, and I can share it with you on the individual level, uh, that we have the potential under God to become better even through difficulties, losses, challenges, heartaches, and problems. And when it's done, we need to tell the whole world. We need to proclaim it, to proclaim it. We have a document that is actually the official word of the birth of our nation. It's called the Declaration of Independence. And I just happen to have some copies here with me. I uh, have a cop two copies right here. The Declaration of Independence begins, When in the course of human events... It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Uh, to put that in everyday American, you know, on the street American like we talk, the difference between our American Revolution, people ask, I mentioned it to the bus workers this morning in our devotional time, uh, the difference between our American Revolution and the fact that we 
preach what the Bible says, that we're supposed to pray for all those in authority, including kings and others, and uh, we're to live peaceable lives. And Romans chapter 13 tells us that we're to be law-abiding citizens, and yet we were part of a revolution. What's the difference? Well, the difference is we're not like some who just decide to pillage and burn and destroy and kill, and they get bloodthirsty. And, uh, you know, that click you hear is them removing, you know, the safety from their peace, and uh, they're just looking for somebody to shoot or something to burn or something to destroy. That's not the spirit of America. They, they attempted to make good sense of their plight and their difficulty and their challenge to the laws of the king through all of the means that was available to them in those days. Many of these people were not Englishmen. They'd come from Dutch backgrounds, German backgrounds, a number of different uh, nationalities. There were, there were French Huguenots. There were all kinds of folks that had found their way to the colonies. But they were living under the umbrella of King George III. By the way, he's not a great king, but he was king. And they attempted to, uh, to express their, their uh, feelings, their redress to the king. And they were rebuffed and, and mistreated. And because of that, they had no choice. Now, we believe in strength uh, as, the, as the source that God provides for us to maintain the peace. All of you understand what I'm talking about. We don't believe in brandishing. We don't believe in burning and pillaging and, and just looking for the next person to shoot or whatever. In fact, we are against that. We're law-abiding, peaceful people. Like the Quaker that I described this morning, this actually happened. A, a, a fella in, in olden days knew that a certain Quaker family lived in a village, and they knew that they were pacifists and that they didn't normally take up arms and go to war and so forth. And so this thief, or a potential thief, he thought he was going to be a thief, broke in. And he's there in the middle of the night. Well, he comes face to face, <laughs> face to face with a Quaker who's holding his musket or his blunderbust or whatever right up to the guy. And he said, wait a minute, I thought you were, I thought you were a member of the Friends, a, a Quaker, and didn't believe in violence. And he said, I am, I am. But I am about to shoot where thou art standing, and thou hast two seconds to move before I do. Now, you see, that's a balance. And we're a whole lot like that Quaker, aren't we? Now, i got to say, there's some Baptists that are more like the brandishing type and they're just looking for somebody that they can shoot and they just love the smell of gunpowder and so forth. No, that's not the way we are. We believe that, that God has made us to be orderly, law-abiding, peaceful people. The most important and the highest thing that we can possibly do is proclaim Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not an afterthought with us. Jesus Christ is first and foremost. Say, so, well, so let's say I get that thief down and he's, and he's in my house and I got him down on the ground. What do you do? Well, use it as a golden opportunity to say, I don't know where you're headed, but I'd like to present Jesus Christ to you. Say, is that actually possible? Sure it is. Sure it is. Absolutely is. And there is a balance that must be maintained. And that's what we're doing. And thank God for America that a declaration of independence was made. All right? And these individuals who signed the Declaration of Independence knew that they were putting their life on the line. We're going to talk about that. But they talked about nature's God. And they did that in a generic way because while some of them were deists, all of them were gentlemen. 
there were some true born-again believers among them. And they did, not, they did not want to impose their own personal beliefs on everybody who may not have believed that way. So they just figured everybody who's got a brain in their head acknowledges that there's nature's God, so let's talk generically. And that's exactly why they wrote what they wrote the way that they wrote it. Also, the primary drafter of the Declaration of Independence was Thomas Jefferson, great man. Somebody once said that uh, when a meeting was held in one of these uh, uh, rooms over here in Alexandria, I believe it was Alexandria, that, uh, that there, were more, there was more intelligence in that room on that occasion, with the possible exception of the time when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. Super intelligent man, not a perfect man, and not a born-again man. He did not believe in a personal Savior, Jesus Christ. So as the chief drafter, he kept all that in, in mind. Even in the letter that he wrote, you know that wall of separation that the liberals keep throwing up? When, when he was writing an opinion to the Baptists in Danbury, uh, he wasn't saying that this wall is to keep Jesus Christ and God and religion out of government. What he was saying was, this wall is to keep government out of the churches. That's, that was the purpose of it. And my hand is on the Bible. If I lie, I die. Okay, I'm telling you the truth. Thomas Jefferson may not have been a born-again believer, but I have in my collection here something about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, who helped guide the American colonies in gaining their independence and informing the Constitution of the United States, declared that a Baptist church is a pure form of democracy. This he observed at a small Baptist church located near his Monticello home. The following reliable quotation is taken from Belcher's Religious Denominations of the United States, page 184. Quote, Jefferson said that he considered Baptist church government the only form of pure democracy which then existed in the world and had concluded that it would be the best plan of government for the American colonies. So, he wasn't a born-again believer, but he ran around with some good folks. He associated with them, and... Uh, you say, what kind of good folks? Hold your hand up. I'm talking about you with your hands up. Come on, put your hands up. That's the kind of folks Jefferson ran around with. And that's how he learned what he learned. We're going to talk more about this, this document. But we know that our nation was founded upon biblical principles. And we today acknowledge the fact that God has a wonderful plan for those who will discover it in the Word of God. All right, in Leviticus, let's turn to Leviticus and chapter number 25 and verse number 10. We have the quotation, as so many of our historic um, items of memorabilia and uh, of remembrance contain, it says in verse number 10, and ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that, that which groweth itself in it. All right, look this way for just a moment. What is the Lord saying through Moses 
in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, first four letters, L-E-V-I, Levi. Levi was the head of the priestly tribe. These are things that have to do with our relationship with God and with each other under God. And what he was establishing in the Old Testament was a series of years of rest, which we would call Sabbaths, not just a Sabbath day. The seventh day is a day of rest. It's Sabbath. It's not our day of worship. It's a day of rest. They were to cease from labor. It was a sign between God and His covenant people, Israel. So they called it Sabbath. Sabbath means rest. In the New Testament, we don't have it commanded. All the other commandments of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, are found there. But there the Sabbath is represented as a person, Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath. We rest in Him. He is the one that is the fulfillment of the law. So we understand that. But never ever did the Lord say, I'm going to move the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first. No, the seventh day has always been, for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, has been a day of rest, a sign between them and God. The first day of the week, we're gathering today and on Sunday, and that is because Jesus rose from the dead, praise the Lord, and He's alive forevermore, and we thank God. Now, back in the Old Testament, they also had Sabbath years, and every seventh year was a year when they allowed the land to lie dormant, or what they would call, and what you farmers that were raised on farms call fallow. How many of you understand fallow ground? The principle is to allow the regeneration of the land and to give it a rest. So they would do that every seventh year. So the seventh, the 14th, the 21st, and so forth, right on up to seven times seven. You that uh, studied your table, seven times seven is? 49, thank you. What a, what a thunderous result, amen. You know, I still believe it's right to learn your math tables. I don't care what they tell you over yonder. All right, so anyway, it'll come in handy. You know, you start counting fingers and toes, you're going to run out after a while. All right. Amen. All right. So the 49th year was a regular fallow year or a Sabbath year. But then right after it came, after 49, I know everybody knows this. I don't care what kind of school you go to. All right. Right after 49 is 50. Right. That's the year of Jubilee. So they had two back to back. But this was a special year. And... In addition to allowing the land to rest and doing all the things that they would do to give it that regeneration, they were also to proclaim liberty through all the land. God wants you and God wants me to be ready always. What does Peter say? To give an answer of the hope that lies within us. Many people... They say, well, my church teaches this. My church believes that. But why do you believe it if you believe it? Where do you find it in the Word of God? You see, I can give you a half dozen scriptures in a short space of time which will tell you that this world needs to know where we're coming from. Where we're coming from is where God has brought us and God has made it clear to us. And even though because we have the Spirit of God within us, we may have the ability to uh, share some insight with others. The bottom line, the end result is when we share the, that truth with them, 
Guess what? Ye shall know the truth, John chapter 8, and the truth shall what? Set you free. That's right. Set you free. So we're back. We've come full circle to liberty. God was saying to those folks back there in Leviticus chapter 25, you need to be ready to tell people about being free. What did they have all around them? And what did they even have sometimes in their own society? They had, they had indentured service. They had slavery, servitude in different ways. But I like, I love it when, when the Gaither vocal band sings about the freedom that God has placed in the breast of every person. Even a baby wants to fight for breath, for freedom. Every person wants to be free. Every person wants to have the opportunity to become all that God would have them to be. I want you to raise your right hand again. Everybody raise your right hand. Guess what? Everybody with their hand raised was created by God. Keep your hand raised a second. Everybody with their right hand raised... God created you with a purpose and a plan. He wants you to know that plan. And He wants you to fulfill that plan for His glory. And you can put your hand down now. I don't want it to <laughs> get numb and drop off. On July the 4th, 1776, man, that's a lot of candles on the cake, 246. Think about that. God did something wonderful here. At least I believe He superintended what those men decided, put down on paper, and gave us a beginning. Not perfect, not perfect men, not a perfect document, but certainly unlike anything else in prior history. With any birth, we have the birth of our nation. With any birth, put this down. Number one, there's promised potential, isn't there? Promised potential. Number two, there are birth pangs birth pangs. Number three, there's a future path to follow. A future path to follow. Up, up the hill in, um, well, kind of, kind of the front royal area, our older son and his wife and kids, and they're starting to gather what I would call livestock. I'm not sure. They got rabbits, they got, they got chickens, that's right, and they got a dog, all right? And uh, they're hoping someday to maybe add baby goats or something like that. And so they've got, they got an acre of ground up there, and it's on a hill, but it's, it's really coming along nice, praise the Lord. But uh, as, as they have all of these creatures, these critters, uh, Sam, who's 11, and Annie, who's 9, right? And James, who's 3, going to be 4, all right, they're realizing, they're learning lessons that you would learn on the farm. You would, you would learn lessons such as, you know, that chickens lay eggs and, and if uh, all the conditions are proper, you get more baby chicks out of the deal, otherwise you get breakfast. So, um, something like that. What did they name those chickens? One of them's Colonel Sanders, right? Something like that. But Brett, Uncle Brett, said that none of them are named Nuggets. So anyway, there you go. But we understand uh, reproduction. We understand in the, in the whole kingdom that God has created here on earth that uh, there is a gestation period. We understand that. We understand. And for a person, it takes a number 
of months from conception. Thank God the, the court got it correct. And now we hope all the states get it correct. Amen. But, uh, but you know, that person begins the, the second, the second conception occurs. That's a, that's, a, that's a human. That's a person. And they've got all the potential for their identity. What is going to be added to that person that's been conceived is nutrition. But other than that, they're going to develop because God has built into them everything they have. Now, that's the physical. Let me talk about the spiritual. The spiritual is very true. When this land was founded, there was just a little strip of populated land until, until folks started moving inland. Now, they discovered there were some forebearers there, some people before that. And um, my wife and consequently the kids have some, we think, Cherokee. So some, some of those folks, it was like Will Rogers, the comedian. Uh, he was asked about this. Will Rogers from Oklahoma. Okay, so that'll give you a hint. Uh, they would say, Will Rogers, did, you, did your ancestors come over on the Mayflower? He said, no, but they, they were there to greet them. All right, so that's good. That's good. And by the way, I believe there's, there's dignity regardless of what your racial or ethnic background might be. God bless you. God made you the way you are. God made me the way I am. And because he made me the way I am, you've got to put up with some things. But that's, you know, I am who God made me, and hopefully I'm yielded to Him. Well, there you have potential. I mean, my dad, on his tallest day, was 5'6". My mom, on her tallest day, was about, what, 5'1", 5'2", something like that. There was no way I was going to play in the NBA. There was no potential there. Didn't matter how many vitamins they gave me. Wasn't going to happen. I didn't have that potential, but I did have some potential. And as I came along, now, I, I, at, at the first, I was, I'm the th third of three kids, and I was very, very introverted, and I didn't want to speak up. I was so introverted, I didn't want to lead out in silent prayer. I mean, that's how introverted I was. But there was promised potential, and my mama prayed for me, and my daddy prayed for me, and they worked with me, and I come from a preacher's home, and uh, they worked with me. And little did they realize what I would become of me, but they had prayed when I was still inside of mama. Lord, make this a preacher for your glory. I didn't know that. Good thing I turned out to be a boy. Amen. Amen. Potential. The Declaration of Independence tells us that God created us and endowed us with certain unalienable rights. But the Bible teaches as well. Certain unalienable rights. Now, Oswald Chambers says we need to learn as Christians to, to lose our own rights. That is the insistence of having our way. And I understand that. When I read Oswald Chambers, I understand where he's coming from. He's not saying that we should... We should all put ourselves back into slavery. He wasn't saying that. He was just saying we, we shouldn't be so uh, expecting and anticipating that everybody's going to give us a, a red carpet in life. But instead, we understand that things come with difficulty. They come with a challenge. So yes, I understand that. But I know this, that I'm endowed with certain unalienable rights 
It is, you can't take them away from me. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. There it is. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That's why a number of years before this signing of the Declaration of Independence, there was a boat that was, uh, that was anchored in the harbor of Plymouth. And what a lot of people don't realize is that on board there was a mixed multitude. There was William Bradford and his group, but also there were some ordinary sailors and some merchants and others that were coming because a colony was in the making. That's it. But here's what William Bradford wrote with all of the strange spelling. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancements of the Christian faith in honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in, now he thought, the northern parts of Virginia. They were a little far north, weren't they? Anybody been to Massachusetts? Long ways from Virginia, all right? But that's where, that's where they ended up. They landed there. Do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one of another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws and ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet, fitting in other words, and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. William Bradford was a great Christian leader. He had no forethought of a nation. He just had a group of folks on a boat, and they were about to go into what he knew was a hostile place where half of them would die the first winter, and uh, they would scratch out an existence, and they would form friendships with uh, those uh, Native Americans who were there and uh, would, would learn some things and would mutually help one another, and they would be sharing the gospel likewise. And in the, that pattern that was established, when that ship landed far north of Virginia in a place called Plymouth, in a cold place in the winter, they were doing something they declared for the glory of God. How many of you today, without us, I mean, admittedly, we don't know all that's included in, for the glory of God. But you understand that you've been created in His image. You understand that God has a purpose for you. You understand if you've been saved, you've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so He owns us from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet. And lock, stock, and barrel, we ought to submit ourselves. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We understand that we are to present back to God everything that He has created in us. That includes not just our stuff, but all of our potential. We're to give it back to God. If you learn to play something beautifully, play it for Jesus. If you learn to paint something beautiful, paint it for Jesus. You learn to speak, speak out for Jesus. If, if uh, as we've taught kids in Christian school for years, if you become a ditch digger, be the best ditch digger for the glory of God that you can possibly be. 
whether you are a plumber, electrician, or you work in an office, your computer person, whether you are in the military or in civilian life, whatever it is that God calls you to do and to be, give it all to God. Give it back to Him. When those folks sailed from England to America, what would eventually become our great nation, but was just a rough, rough, from scratch place. They were, in effect, putting it all on the line. I want to challenge you today to put it all on the line for the glory of God. How many times has God put it all on the line for you and me? When He created us and He made us caretakers over this world, He said, here, this is the creation. I have dominion over it. He was saying, we have a responsibility over the physical environment. Think about that. When, when uh, He entrusted to His people His his laws, and through their legacy, through their heritage, he said, I'm going to send a Redeemer. He was actually entering in. Think about that. God came down and entered into the affairs of mankind. He's interested. He's not some distant, uh, distracted, disconnected being. He's a loving God. He is totally capable, and He's totally loving. When, <laughs> when He came down, Born as a baby in Bethlehem. A lot of people know about the baby Jesus. And they're all for the baby Jesus. And somehow, they'll try to reconcile the baby Jesus with uh, Santa Claus or something else. But Christmas is about God coming down, becoming a man. And He went through all kinds of stuff because people didn't understand how He got here. And so they said filthy, rotten things about His mama. And probably till the day he walked up Calvary's brow, they spat on him, called him every kind of filthy name. They plucked out his beard. And he laid down and let him put spikes in his body so that he could be lifted up and die for your sins and mine. That's what he did. That's what he did. And we never get over that. We never get over that. God came down. God became part of this whole thing. When you were born, you were born with great potential. The, uh, the men of the Declaration of Independence, can I share something with you? Found it again this week. Men who signed the Declaration of Independence were mostly men of comfortable or rich means. Each man had far more to lose from revolution than he had to gain. It was principle, not property, which brought such men to Philadelphia to sign the Declaration. They were of the establishment style, 1776. Had you been sent out to arrest some rebels, the chances are you would never have looked a second time at any of these men. Almost all of them had an abundant supply of fortune and sacred honor. When they pledged these to the support of a declaration that the colonies would no longer be subservient to a distant king, a British fleet was already lying at anchor in New York Harbor. Most of them were relatively young men with enough worldly goods to be called affluent, but it was honor that motivated them most. Benjamin Franklin was the only man among them who was really aged. Eighteen founding fathers were still less than 40 years old. How many of you are under 40? Raise your hands. I got my hand raised only to help you to raise yours. Yeah, think about, think about being there that day. Three of those who signed were still in their 20s. Randolph, I can't imagine that. Still in their 20s. 
Their occupations were varied. 24 were jurists or lawyers, 9 were landowners or rich farmers, 11 were merchants, the rest were physicians, ministers, politicians, and shippers. Now, they were well aware of what was going to happen. But what they did, they did because they wanted folks like us, many, many generations separate from them, to be able to grow up in a land that also has potential. When they finally got around to drafting the Constitution, it was after the failed Articles of Confederation. Boy, those were a mess. You had, in effect, 13 separate nations tied together. It just didn't work. But uh, when they got together and put together the Constitution, there was a thing called amendments. And I'm so glad there were amendments because it gave them the working machinery to fix what wasn't fixed yet. So if your ancestors came over on a slave boat, they have a chance today to rise above that horrible experience. You have the opportunity to represent them. And as an American, it doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter what our background is. We acknowledge that. But we are Americans. We are e pluribus unum, one out of many. And when we go soul winning, we don't check out the color of the people on the other side of the door when we knock on the door. We don't check out the place of origin. We might ask out of interest, well, where are you from? And they say El Salvador, or they say some other place. And we say, oh, that's great. Well, that's great. I say, where are you from? And you say, Ghana. I say, great, we have lots of folks from Ghana in our church. Amen. Why? Because all men are created equal. And we're all endowed with our Creator with certain unalienable rights. And we have potential. And I like what my dad used to say to me. I left home, he said, Son, don't make us ashamed. Don't make us ashamed. He meant, you got a name, you got a background, you represent something. And you say, well, I don't have a name, I don't have a background, my people were this, my people were that. You are an individual before God, and you have the opportunity, and praise God in this atmosphere of opportunity, we can be optimistic about life. Someone has said about optimism, a cheerful frame of mind that enables a tea kettle to sing, though in hot water up to its nose. <laughs> I like that. Amen. I've been in hot water a bunch of times, and, and I have to say to you, I recognize that. On the 50-year jubilee, God said to the Old Testament people, you go out and proclaim liberty to everybody in the land. You review, you go over the goodness of God. You talk about potential being developed and becoming all that you ought to be. There, there, is, there is something to be achieved, something to be done. We all have that potential. Never forget that. That's why we go so winning because, yes, we're commanded, but because somebody out there is the next John the Baptist. Somebody out there is the next Billy Sunday. Somebody out there is the next great servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we just get them on our buses or bring them into our Sunday school and love them to Jesus, you never know what can be achieved. Amen. Amen. I said they're birth pangs. The price was worth it. Of those, of those who signed the Declaration of Independence, most all of them lost a great deal, if not everything. Some of them lost everything. Some of them lost family. And they were willing to lay down their lives. And as they said, if we don't hang together, we'll hang separately. There was a price laid on their life. 
John Hancock. As you know, we talk about signing your John Hancock. His name is twice, three times as big as anybody else's signature on that document. He said, I want to make sure that King George can read this without his spectacles. There was already 5,000 English pounds on his head. He said, I hope this causes the king to double that price. Now think about it. Think about it. I want you to know that these men did not do this lightly. And we don't do what we do lightly. Uh, this old book, the Bible, is the inspired and preserved Word of God. We know all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When you squeeze this Bible, out comes the blood of the martyrs, people who gave us this book so that we can have not one but many in our homes and we can read it, but we let dust form on it. There is a price. Our salvation was paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do to add to it or take from it. We can enhance it. It's already been paid for in full. But your Christianity, your Christian life, and my Christian life will be dependent upon how much interest we show in those things that are eternal, those things that are spiritual, those things that are unseen, those things that are most important, that are behind everything that's going on in this world. There's an unseen world, the spirit world. We know that God has given us the opportunity to have a part in the transformation of people's lives by His marvelous grace. When I talk about birth pangs, our nation came through it. They're still being felt and reverberating in many ways. There are people who don't agree. There are divisions. There are differences. I understand that. But all in all, it's just like your family. When your family has divisions, at the end of the day, you're glad you got a family. You're glad you're part of something. There may be churches that have their diff difficulties right now. I want to say this. If they'll come back to God and come back to the Bible, they'll find the answer. That's it. That's it. So many of the, uh, the ones that are confused right now, they've tried to add this to it and add that to it. and They've put things on top of the simple, plain Scripture. It's Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Your price tag on becoming all that God wants you to be is every day yield to God. Submit. Bring yourselves a living sacrifice to God, as I quoted the scripture. That's so very important. We have problems, but God molds his people in spite of and through the problems. The rough edges get worked off, and praise God for that. All right, now I'm going to give you one more quickly. I know that we've gone a little bit today, but I want you to see this. I want you to get this. I said, with any birth, there's promised potential. With any birth, there are birth pangs. With any birth, there is a path to follow. And we need to ask for the old paths. Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 6.16. And the answer to that was that people would not ask for the old paths. They would not desire the old paths. God wants us to seek not just happiness apart from Him, but happiness which is uh, connected. It is directly connected to that path that we're talking about. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, 
has said, God cannot give us happiness and, and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing apart from Him. Oswald Chambers, I, I mentioned him before. He's one of my three favorite writers outside of the Bible. Holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. I like that. I like that. And then Tozer, you, now you guessed who's on my list. Tozer said, no man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts in seeking to know and to do the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy he should be. So happiness is the byproduct of our desire to be in the will of God. And along the way, I like the old gospel song that says, there's a little bit of heaven on this side. Now, we're not in heaven yet. This is the testing ground, the proving ground. And so you've had problems. How many of you, i got both hands up. How many of you had problems this week or problems? Raise your hands. All right. You know what? We ought to say thank God anyway. When we trust Him for the problem, it's like Andre Crouch used to sing, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that He could solve them. Amen. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all. So when I testify that I had plural problems this week, that means I had plural opportunities to walk in the path, the old path, to ask for it, to get in the path of the Word of God, to get in the path that is Jesus Christ embodied in and through my life, to yield to Him, to surrender to Him, and say, Jesus, You have Your way. Thy will be done. Not my will, but Thy will be done. Any nation that thinks more of its ease and comfort than its freedom will soon lose its freedom. And the ironical thing about it is that it will lose its ease and its comfort too. W. Somerset Mom knew what he was talking about. Anything in your life as an American, anything in your life as a Christian, anything in your life as a church member of this church or any other church out there, anything in your life as a uh, worker, an employee or an employer, anything, you take any venue, as a student or teacher, an instructor, wherever you might find yourself in the scheme of things, in whatever venue, anything, you're going to find difficulty, and you're going to find in that difficulty that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And in coming through that, someone's going to say, you know, you came through that thing. Uh, Americans, you came through. You've come through what you went through. Through and, and uh, that's just amazing. How did you do it? To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things He has done. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. Oh, God has something for you today in what was said. I know it was a little different. We didn't. Take it verse by verse. We did take the subject of our liberty, our freedom, and who we are, and the potential that we represent. And I understand that that may be a little different from what we're used to doing. But today, God had a message for me. How about for you? If God spoke to your heart today, would you slip your hand up? God spoke to me about something. Put your hand up high. Amen. What are we going to do about it, folks? We can respond at the invitation when it's given in just a moment. I trust that you slip out from where you are, come down, have a word of prayer, go back to your seat. And in so doing, 
we will have the opportunity today to declare to God that He is in charge. He's the one. He's the one. And praise God for it. When you come forward today, if you need someone to pray with you, we'll be glad to. If you need to be baptized or join the church, just speak to me. If there's a problem, just speak to me. Otherwise, just tell the Lord. And today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the greatest thing that you can do is call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you realize that you're a lost sinner, you need to be saved the Bible way, just pray from your heart to God right now something like this. Dear God, just pray silently. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer from your heart and you meant it, would you slip your hand up high so I can see it right now?
before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on in the beauty. the glory. 